0: Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved in sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko fi and slash rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Australia, Quay Cooper for the win,
1: it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Quay Cooper is
2: the man.
1: Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, we're real family friendly and positive, so Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. Now, this is probably the hardest podcast we've had to do ever, I'm going to say. The result over the weekend is just absolutely heartbreaking for all Wallabies fans out there. And to get here and have to talk through it and, and be positive and upbeat around that outcome is difficult. But, Ando, how are you feeling?
0: Mate. I'm glad that we're recording today as opposed to kind of Thursday night or Friday morning. I would have been absolutely spitting chips if uh, we had recorded a lot closer to the time. I'm a lot more. um, Calmer. Yeah. Calm considered and uh, have, have thought through the whole point and see the clear and utter failures of officiating combined with the responsibility the Wallabies had to be the masters of their own fate. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a more balanced perspective.
1: Yeah, so we will try and be balanced in this podcast. We will obviously talk about that decision, um, that outcome, but we will try not to dwell on it too much. Uh, run us through our social platforms and then I'll get into the Super Superbrew results.
0: Easy. So catch us as normal on all the main social platforms. Also, we just want to, again, say thank you to the absolute legends who have donated again recently at coffee.com, ko-fi.com, slash pick and drive rugby. We really, really, really appreciate the support that people have been throwing our way. Thank you. Uh, another really cool thing, we actually got to speak to, obviously, Matt from Gold Digger Rugby the other week. His documentary, is available now. Gold Digger, the search for Australian rugby, is available both on Binge and Fox Docos. Obviously, both of them are fo- part of the Fox platform. You can go and type into Google binge free trial and get a two week free trial and then go and watch that podcast, uh, that documentary. So please go and do so. Talk it up on social media. Leave a five star rating on um, IMDb as well and do as much as you can to promote the show.
1: Fantastic.
0: Have you had a chance to
1: watch it yet, Andrew?
0: Mate, that's my Wednesday night. I was away with family for the weekend. Okay. Then doing this pod tonight, busy tomorrow, so Wednesday night when we wash that. out. Fantastic. Yeah,
1: we'll um definitely get around that and um, give it a view because Matt has put a real lot of hard work into that and he's put out a really great product. Uh, let's move to Super Brew now. And so, well done to Mero, who's taken out the yellow cap this week. Three and a half points from this round, followed by Jumping Tim Slim in second place, also on three and a half points. But... Uh, somehow Mero has pipped you there, sorry mate. And Rev has taken out third place on two and a half points. So uh, some good points, won there for round five of the Rugby Championship. And if we look at the overall table, we've got Julia, who's a massive supporter of the Pod, and we enjoy interacting with you on Twitter um, all the time, Julia. So thank you for your support and great to see you at the top of the uh, Superbrew table. So eight. points in top spot. Moved up three places this week. We've got Mero in second place after taking out the yellow cap. They have moved up 12 places. So well done Mero. And then we've got Ev or Ev uh, on 7.83 points in third place. So well done to all people involved in the Super Brew tipping comp. Um, It's a good bit of fun. And this was was a hard round to pick in some ways. Yeah, really difficult. I don't think anyone would have called the outcome. You either would have gone with New Zealand by a lot or Australia by a very little and both of them would have been wrong. Anyway, what are we doing tonight? So we do have a guest joining us shortly. We do have Harrison Dale from the Draft Rugby Podcast. We're going to break down Bledisloe Cup Game 1, Australia and New Zealand. The heartbreak, the travesty, the devastation but overall, a very, very good game of rugby. So, looking forward to chatting through that. And then we've had some questions come into the locker room. So, we'll finish the pod there. We'll answer your questions, feature your comments, and just really get involved amongst what you thought from the Slow game on the weekend. Um, does that sound good, Andrew? Have I forgotten anything? Shall we just dive into things?
0: No, I think you've covered everything that we need to do. So, mate, let's dive on in. Let's go. Let's go. We begin with the Battle of Agincourt in 1415 with the death of the French knights to the English longbowmen in the mud of Agincourt. We then move to the immense failure of the French fleet at Trafalgar in 1805 versus the uh, British Armada. Then Napoleon's failure at Waterloo in 1815. The inevitable defeat, not inevitable, the crushing defeat of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871 and the humiliating signing of the treaty in Versailles. The failures of World War One, France getting bailed out of the ashes by the might of the British Empire and the emerging force that was America. The ignominious defeat of World War Two. Six weeks it took for the might of the German army to sweep across the nation. And then the catastrophic defeat in the mountains of Vietnam at Dien Bien Phu against the North Vietnamese to be topped in a catastrophic list of French failures on a global scale by Matthew Reynal's decision in Bledisloe Test 1 on Thursday night. We are ready to discuss that game. And Harry, let's just start off with you. Harrison Dale is here with us. How did you respond in that moment of just absolute confusion and anger and frustration? Was this all about a failed submarine deal with, between Australia and France? What was it that led to Matthew making that decision?
2: Wow, what an intro, man. I've learned so much already. It took me about 30 seconds to learn more on this podcast than it does on my own. So fantastic. Thank you for having me first and foremost. Uh, look, to be honest, it was just disbelief and anger to start with. And then it was just shock. I think it, it genuinely, I went back and rewatched the footage and I had to scroll back. And I realized it was 40 minutes after the game ended before I actually went back and looked at it again because I just couldn't move. I was just in such disbelief that it had happened. And it was just such a, a Dagger to the heart after what was such a fantastic game. How did it happen? Yeah, my my th- my first thought was definitely the submarine deal. This mm. is this is come from up top. He's timed this to perfection, and you know he really rubbed it into Nick White. You know, you didn't think we could do this as the French. Then you know now you know there are
0: repercussions for your actions. So that's how I interpreted it. Well, I was just amazed to see a Frenchman actually stand up to conflict rather than just running away any other direction. So I mean, that's I guess a positive for the nation. But Mitch, you and I were at the pub together watching the game, and after our initial yells of shouts of righteous indignation and anger, there was just a silence that settled upon the pub. And the ki- that's because we were Kiwis, the only ones there. No, that's not true. That's not true. There was a group of Kiwis not far from us. And they, to their credit, weren't rubbing it in. Well, I think, yeah, they were there to watch the Paul Gallen fight more
1: than the Bledisloe Cup game. But we ended up getting it on the TV. And we just, it felt like, it felt like three days of you and I just sitting there in silence, trying to comprehend what had happened. This hollow feeling that had just sort of come over both of us some of your mates who aren't big or massive uh, rugby union fans were kind of asking questions. What does that mean? Why did that happen? And we just didn't have the answers really. And that's, I guess, what's
0: coming up in the wash up of this is where are the answers coming from? And look, for those of you who might be a little bit over this controversy and the the questions that are coming from that decision by Matthew Reynal. Um, what we'll say is we are going to talk about the game itself. We just need to get the elephant in the room sorted first, kind of shoot it, bury its corpse out the back, um, maybe feast a little bit on some of the tastier parts of it. But basically, we can't move forward without a discussion of that question in depth. Now, Harry, I'm not sure if you're, you're pretty active on Twitter. So have you seen some of those accounts that are talking about, well, here are all the timings of it. Here's exactly what Reynal said. Nick White should have known better. Lalakai Fichetti was yelling at him. Um, it was basically Foley's mistake, and he's got to own it completely. Raynal did the exact right thing.
2: Look, I think it's the perfect representation of everything you ever see in Twitter, and that is people sit on complete polar opposites with no nuance whatsoever to any opinion that they can possibly have, and that is you either believe that the French ref is the devil himself or... It was the complete right thing, and Foley has no idea how to play rugby. And I think the reality is it's not either of those things. I think, you know, there's, there's been much discussion. If you would asked me, to be honest, straight after the game, I may have been saying he's the devil incarnate, but <laughs> you've given me four days to calm down. So the reality is he spoke to them, you know, a, a number of times trying to speed the game up. He did try and give them a lot of warnings. It's disappointing to see that his recollection was that he, he warned about you know, a repercussion with the scrum when it wasn't actually said, but he did make it very obvious that he wanted to speed the game up. Now he's well within his right to make the decision that he had. So really we shouldn't be able to argue that much because there's so many gray areas in this game. But, you know, I think the thing is, Rennie said it best, it just lacked a feel for the game. Mm-hmm. And the reality was, yeah, you're right. With The timing went out. There was 38 seconds from i think it was 39 seconds from start to finish foley had the ball in his hand for 18 seconds from when he picked it up including time off to when he got pinned and it's just not long enough in pretty much all of australia's opinion to make such a game defining decision i understand why you know so many people are siding with the referee here and saying it's really important to speed up the game i think the the bugbear that most reasonable australians have is just the fact that it's just not the time to make a decision that is so out of line with how the game is generally refereed.
0: And Mitch, is that the similar place that you have got to now four or so days after the event that uh, we can see the technical legality of what Raynal said? And so, yeah, okay, it's an accurate call. You can say that he made the the legally right, correct decision. We want to use that language, which probably Mm -hmm. isn't the best way. Um, Would you agree with that point? Yeah, I think if we go back and look at the the clip and
1: for those who do want to go and watch it the best vision to watch is the spider cam clip because that doesn't have commentary over the top it doesn't have a replay over the top when you watch it live on the stan sport coverage it feels like 4 seconds they they show four or five replays of the actual penalty that's one that gives the australians the opportunity to kick for touch And then it goes back to real time. You hear the referee sort of saying something, but it's over the top of Mertz and Morgs having a bit of a discussion around it. And then he pings it straight away and everyone's confused. If you go back and watch the actual spider cam, you can see that there are a few times where he does tell Foley or Nick White, we go now. Um, He calls out Bernard Foley with the words 10. Uh, Some people have interpreted that meaning you've got 10 seconds, but he he is clearly just sort of talking to Foley as the number 10. I think when I, yeah, looking back at the overall outcome, I can see that we, I can see where the referee came from. I can see that he, he was trying to speed the game up a little bit, but he never actually communicated to Foley or to Nick White. If you don't take this kick kick quickly, uh, I'm going to give a scrum to the All Blacks. And it's worrying when he goes, and the footage that came out yesterday, um in the aftermath of having that conversation on the sideline with Nick White, he said, I clearly explained if you didn't take it quickly, I would overturn the decision. That, I think, shows a real indication of where he was in his mental process of the situation, how he was reading it, but he didn't communicate it as clearly as he could have.
0: Yeah, I also feel a little bit sorry for him in that particular moment. He's a foreign referee speaking in English as his second language, obviously being primarily a French speaker, uh, in a really, really high tense high high tension moment, knowing he's made a I'm not gonna say he made a mistake because he wouldn't view it as that, but he's made a decision that has cost a team the game. His his heart's gonna be going a million miles an hour. And I I think if we're picking apart his words after the game, then that's yeah, probably a little bit too, too pedantic, I think, if, if people were basing their whole argument on that. Look, realistically, um, I think what Sam Whitelock and James Slipper both said in the post-match press conference, let's ignore what a certain New Zealand coach said about it, <laughs> um, but basically they just said they've never seen it in all their time playing professional rugby. That call made. And so if we take that as the basis of it being completely unexpected in a game-altering and series-defining match, both in terms of the Bledisloe and the Rugby Championship, then, then I think we go back to what Rennie was saying, what Morgs has said a bunch of times, and other commentators have said afterwards. It just lacked feel for the occasion, lacked feel for the situation, and could have been resolved in a way that didn't bring the game into such disrepute. Um, Harry, is that your... I know I've already thrown this to you, but one more time, mate. Is that kind of your takeaway now sitting where you're at
2: we we could just keep going to be honest i could talk on this for hours yeah look a a couple of key points for me um how you you mentioned he could have controlled it differently to me the best way is you stop the clock just let him go to kick the ball as he goes to kick the ball call time on like Mm. easy solve no harm done no one can slow the clock that's the obvious answer for me in the future how this should be dealt with number two i don't think foley did well enough here i think he should have communicated back to the ref you know, his explanation after the game was that he didn't know time was on. So obviously he was having trouble hearing the ref. Mm. But early on, the ref was standing near him. That that distance did open up a little bit and you can understand the the confusion there. But when the pressure was being put on to White and Foley to hurry up early on, Foley needed to say, just give me a moment. Like we've just got to organize our forward pack. He didn't even try and communicate that until after the game. The, the penalty in being given. Sorry
1: to cut you off. He actually did say that to the referee, but after, it's not after always... After it was already awarded. At, at one point, he does say, um, he does say, quick, take it quickly. And he just says to the referee, um, we've had some personnel changes. We're figuring out the calls. And the I, ref goes, no, we go quick.
2: After, I thought that was said after he gave it, because then he gets cut off by White coming in to have the conversation. No,
1: it's, he does say it as well in the lead up. But okay, well, anyway, regardless, no, it doesn't I'll, matter. i with all withdraw that then. <laughs> I'll, I'll withdraw, withdraw that, that truth.
2: My uh, my last one is you know, we keep saying oh, it cost us the game, it cost us the game, it didn't cost us the game. It gave us a great opportunity to seal the game. New Zealand still had to score a try after the buzzer and we couldn't hold them out for one phase, I think it was, wasn't it, off the scrum or something? like? No, I think we it
1: was we, three.
2: Whatever it there was, was you know, like they, they still had to score a try. So, mm. you know, we, we should be a little bit more realistic and say, look, it, it cost us our best opportunity to defend in that situation. We still had to defend a line out and then New Zealand would have come us again. But yeah, it's disappointing that we couldn't close out regardless of the call as well.
0: All right, Mitch, final comment at all before we cut off the discussion of the call and then actually get into the match itself. Anything else you want to say about the discussion? Yeah, I just think um, on retrospect, looking at it now, I
1: think both Nick White and Bernard Foley could have handled that situation better. White was the captain at the time and he didn't communicate well. It, it From the way that the referee has spoken... Um, To the players at the time, when you go back and actually listen to the way he communicated to them, he felt like he wasn't being listened to and he felt like there was an intent by the Wallabies to wind down the clock and try and wait till it went into basically the 80th minute before he kicked it out. And when he talks to Nick White after the game, he says, you know, the clock was on. You were intentionally trying to wind down time and that's not right. And so he, he was sort of saying, you knew what you were doing. Dink White was sort of trying to say, he, that's not what they were doing. Two more seconds, we would have kicked it out, yada, yada, yada. So I can understand where both sides are coming from. Um, I, I feel like the ref made a decision at, the, at that moment. He thought that he had communicated to them, if we don't kick the ball quickly, I'm going to turn it over. He thought he had communicated that. He hadn't. At the same time, Foley could have kicked it three, four seconds faster and we're not even talking about this. Um, overall... The biggest thing is it's unfortunate that we have to start the podcast this week and talk, not talk about how great a test match of rugby we had. Probably the best Bledisloe Cup test we've had in the last what 20 years, really. We go back to that 2000 um, game at, at what, what, Olympic Park, or whatever it was called at the time. Um, we're talking about a referee decision, and it's been spoken about so much in the media. Um, it's just a little unfortunate that the final... Everyone is talking about this decision. We're not talking about the fact that the Wallabies came back and scored, you know, those points at the end really pushed New Zealand right to the end.
0: Watching the game back, there were some absolute blinder moments throughout the game. So let's just get into some of the basics. If you somehow have had your head under a rock and you didn't know the end score, it was 39 to 37 New Zealand over Australia. Australia We were a bit dizzy from-, from all the smoke before <laughs> kickoff. Exactly. What is it? 31-13 down? Uh, before the Aussies launched their comeback to get 37-31 back. Um, Or something like that. And so, yeah, it was... Thank you. Um, And so it was a really, really fascinating match. There were some incredible moments throughout. Why don't we just start with some of the moments that made us get up in our seat and just applaud rugby. I'm going to start with one, and I'm going to say it's my main man. Yes, my main man, Will Jordan, Doing what he does just every day of the week and going in for that beautiful chip over the top by Bodie Barrett, um, collecting it, stepping Andrew Keller away and running away for the try. A piece of absolute rugby beauty. Just mount that, put it up on a wall in a pool room and ladies and gentlemen, there is your wedding gift for your future partner. Like that's, that's all you Apart you're
1: from the fact that the All Blacks scored it and so it doesn't go anywhere near my walls but or my living room. it's also
0: Will Jordan, so he can go on any of my walls. That's okay. okay um, goals, but Harry... What moment made you just celebrate rugby within that match? Because there was so much to cheer on. So much ho- to cheer on.
2: I was hoping you wouldn't come to me so the obvious Wallabies one could be taken so I could talk about another All Blacks try. But I'll come back to that. My look, Obviously, the big one for me was the Pete Samu try. Such an exceptional piece of play. Pete Samu just breaking down the wing. Uh, I think he beats the... Is it Will Jordan that he yeah, beats on the way through? And Jordan. then the little one-two with Betty, who can do no wrong. He just, everything he touches turns to gold. And then it was just a great finish as well. Absolutely fantastic try. And that was the moment I think where we all just went, oh my God, like this, this is actually going to happen. I think on the thread before that I was going, boys, there's no hope we're dead. Like <laughs> we're dead in the water. I was, I was already mourning the loss. And that there was the were, moment. Yeah, there were threats to I, turn I, the I TV was, off. I was losing it. I would kicked out my business partner from our biz- from our, uh, our <laughs> physio club's chat because he started cheering for New Zealand. After that, I let him back what? in. I know, mate, look, he's a real piece of work, but let's, <laughs> um, let's not what this is about.
0: <laughs> that
2: was the moment, I believe.
0: Oh, mate, it was a try that just got you up out of your seat cheering. I'm pretty sure I was just fist pumping the air out of my seat of, uh, as we were watching that. Uh, Mitch, what was a moment that brought you joy? Uh,
1: I'll have to go with the two sort of final plays by the Wallabies. That kick by Nick White uh, on halfway or very close to um, I was kind of hoping that Foley was going to take that kick. It's probably out of his range, so it's good that Nick White did take it. But just for 2014 Waratah's sakes, so I was I was hoping, you know, the Iceman's back. Let's do this. Um, so, yeah, very up and excited for that. Again, like that 2014 kick, nearly couldn't watch. Um, felt sick to my stomach when he's lining it up thinking, geez, I don't know if he's got the range here. This is a long way. But, you know, it went through the posts nearly... It, like, it was still high above the post when it went over. So, he, he definitely had the range. And then the, the penalty that Lenny Kitao ends up, or was it Ketty uh, ends up yep. securing right at the end. That one had me up screaming because I thought at that point, we've done this. We've That was the game. We've That's yep. the game right there. We kicked a touch. We've got 40 seconds left. Let's just maul it. Maybe have one pick and drive, and then we'll kick it out we've won this um, until we all came crashing back down to earth. No, we've
0: moved on. Let's not talk about that moment. We've moved on. Oh, ah, saying. Uh, so, Harry, you wanted to mention another Kiwi try.
2: Uh, look, I just, I just, I'm the biggest fanboy of Richie Moana, and there was that try that he scored where he looked like he was playing Super Rugby. It just, it wasn't Test match footy to him anymore. He just saw Bernard Foley and just scooted around the outside of him and basically just strolled under the post. And it's just like. I've had a, playing a, a reasonable level of touch footy. I've had it happen to me far too many times <laughs> where someone's just way too fast and too agile and you just end up like clutching at straws, thin air, didn't even get close to tackling him. And it was just pure gold from Richie Moe. I just think he is such an exceptional fly half. And I think the comeback of the All Blacks has a lot to do with him getting confident in this fly half jersey for them. He's, he's an amazing, amazing athlete. And I thought that was Phenomenal.
0: Yep, absolutely agreed with that one. All right. Well, why don't we talk about some of the players whose stocks have risen? And for me, I just want to point out Lelakai Fikedi. I think he was exceptional on Thursday night. He has been a more than capable fill-in for Hunter Paisami at 12. And it makes me actually think maybe he deserves it, not saying an extended run, but another opportunity to demonstrate his capacity within that 12 jersey as a backup. Because, I mean, if Sami Karebi, as we know, is injured for the long-term, we need to make sure that there is a very competent deputy to Hunter Paisami. And he was excellent within that match. His ability, both defensive in attack and to be able to get over and make a couple of really important turnovers as well was very impressive. Mitch, who are a couple of standout Aussie players for you?
1: I can't go past the performance from Pete Samu. I called out on the pod last week in my 23 that he was going to start for seven in the 7 jersey and Dave Rennie clearly listened to the podcast and went with my call. So disappointed he didn't put Beal in the 23 in some place because it would have been great to see him and maybe he would have kicked the ball out a bit faster. But anyway... uh, I I my reasoning Move behind on. it We're moving on. <laughs> my reasoning behind including him last week was just his presence at the breakdown and he's a bigger body than McWright and he and he definitely showed that this week. The amount of tackle busts that he made, I don't actually have the stats up in front of me if anyone does have any stats to sort of throw in there four
0: defenders beaten, two clean breaks, uh seventy-four meters made off eight runs with two offloads.
1: Yeah, so, you know, that's a great performance by any number seven at any level, really. And, you know, McWright's been great for the last few weeks and not saying he deserved to be dropped in any way. He's he's a definite candidate for the future and he will suit different game plans. But when you're coming up against a physical All Blacks pack, you need a seven who's going to be dominant and can carry that ball confidently in the midfield and out wide, which we saw this week. And, yeah, I think he's put in a real good performance and it's going to be hard to... Uh, for Dave Rennie to decide once Michael Hooper comes back available later in the year, which way does he go? Does he keep Hooper? Um, does he keep Samu for that impact? Um, which way he goes? I'm I'm glad I'm yeah. not on the selection yeah. panel.
0: Agreed. Harry, plays that stood out.
2: Uh, look, I, I think the other one for me was probably just Kelleway. It took him a little while to warm to the game, to be fair. You know, maybe mm. I was just a little bit hurt by that uh, missed opportunity for him to score but he's been so consistent for so long and he really clawed the Wallabies back into that game in the second half with his finishing ability. Scored two tries. I thought he was exceptional as the game went on. He just got better and better and better. And I think he probably has done enough to establish himself. I I think now is the Wallabies first choice 15.
0: Yep. Yeah. I would be agreeing with that. Um, Rhys Hodge is too versatile to unseat Callaway, especially when, Kelleway being at 15 provides more opportunity for other players, like Asili for to maybe get a run yeah. in some of the future matches. So, yeah, I really love that call. Uh, I don't think we can go much further without actually pointing out the great game that Bernard Foley had as well. So whilst he had some initial hiccups, um, dropped a couple of high balls, a couple of knock-ons okay. and the like... He grew into the game exceptionally well, gave what was uh, sometimes backwards out of their hands. If he's on my team, pass to, to Kelleway for the try. If that was against me, it's definitely forward. Um, kick six out of six. He was he was exceptional considering the fact that it's his first game since the 2019 World Cup. So really, really impressed with him coming back in. I would,
2: uh, I would like to take credit for that one. I think I just you? trash-talked him on social media after that Richie Moonger try. And then basically, I think it was within one or two minutes, he just turned the entire match on its head. So <laughs> I think he, somehow the message got through that, uh, that the fans weren't happy. And, you know, that was the turning point for me.
0: Well, two, two of my colleagues are actually talking up his, um, his performance and saying that they're responsible for it. Because one of them was his coach at my school. And the other one was um, actually was a student at my school with bernard foley in the same team and has the photos of him right next to bernard foley in his age groups going up from like under sevens to under nines or something so they're saying he's taught him everything yeah exactly. we all deserve
2: a bit of credit i, I agree i can take that
1: and i i've <laughs> yes, been a waratah's member for you know years and years so i'll take <laughs> mm. some credit there too yep
0: i'm wearing a waratah's jersey right now so really yep. i too am responsible uh anyway. i just wanted
1: to say before we move off the bernard foley uh selection and his performance i thought it was uh it was great to see him as we said uh, warm into the game and I think the last few tests that he did play for the Wallabies in 2019 in that World Cup, I do feel like the way that Checker was coaching that team at the time, he kind of boxed Foley in a lot and so I thought this week, Foley was playing with a lot more freedom uh, he took the line on a lot more readily than he did under Checker and he just, as particularly in the last sort of stages of that game um, other than, you know what we've spoken about before, but he looked calm and composed and he he um, he looked like the experienced head that we've been lacking um, outside of Quade Cooper in that 10 jersey. And when mm. we'll talk about it a little bit later, but when we start comparing who is our 10 moving forward for the the next test, but then the spring tour, I think we've seen that the Wallabies really do need that experienced fly half to be able to lead the backs around outside of him. And that's something that at the moment, Noel Alessio, Is just not currently
0: providing. Well, looking ahead to next week, we obviously have the rematch at Eden Park and it's going to be an incredibly difficult match. Uh, When was the last time we won there? 86, maybe. 86. That's what I'd heard. I I was pretty sure it was a year before I was born. So um, that's just disappointing. Um, But it is... That's actually wrong. Is it not 86? A little bit of trivia. We won
1: in the 2011 World Cup there against Tonga or something. But anyway. Oh, fuck.
2: (laughs)
0: <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah anyway that's <Well>, <laughs> not so bad then what who do yeah what, exactly. who, do? what who do it doesn't matter we it's only been been 11 before. years um okay i enjoyed that um but looking ahead to it i mean we've got some pretty big decisions that need to get made in the um fallout of that match rob Leota has done his achilles and has undergone surgery again already for that so he'll be out for uh actually we have someone that can speak very well to the achilles recovery how long is the person out after physio harry
2: uh bare minimum six months he's six to nine but if all goes really really well you'd hope he's back six or seven months
0: okay cool so we're only seeing him at the best maybe halfway through the next super season yeah which is similar to what he had this year
2: he doesn't play full super rugby seasons anyway I mean, he's he can't <laughs> stay on the field for that long so it's better we come in the back end of super rugby so than that way he can play all the way through the world cup <laughs>
0: I love that view. I love that view. Um, James Slipper <laughs> has already um, has also got an ankle uh, calf injury. Have we heard any detail on that, gentlemen? I personally have not. Uh, Slipper, yeah,
2: no, no. But the fact that he said he did it like ten minutes into the game and he played until half time, so it mustn't be that bad. That's that's the only thing I can say. And a low grade calf injury is one or two weeks. So yeah, still I think unlikely. But who knows? With a week and a half, not not all hope is lost.
0: Okay, good to know. Um, and beyond that, were there any other major injuries to come out of the match? I can't think of any other key players. Not it's from our side. Not
2: injuries.
0: <laughs> not injuries. We obviously have Darcy Swain, potential suspension. Yeah. Um, well, he's been cited. I don't think the... Pending. Um... I think pending suspension is the correct terminology. Yeah, pending. Okay, pending suspension. <laughs> so he'll be out of the equation moving forward. Um, so, I mean, we, we have some big decisions that uh, we and the, the coaching staff will need to make. So to begin with, uh, Mitch, name your 9-10-12 combination, please, because we know that all games are one in Uh
1: For uh, Bledisloe 2, I'd be sticking with what we went with this week. Um, maybe not 12, I might move that around a little bit, but I'd stick with Foley at 10, uh, Jake Gordon at 9, because that combination worked quite well. And I guess if Hunter Paisami is available, uh, we maybe bring back that Paisami and Ikitao combination for the centres. All right, cool.
0: Harry, your quick 9-10-12 combo. Thanks.
2: Uh, I'm just going to tweak it slightly differently. I I think the biggest limitation for us in that first half was that we had no long kicker, and I think we really struggled to get out of our half. So I would start Nick White. He was obviously exceptional when he came on. I think he was given a bit of a rest after his kicking game was below par in that second South African test, but he definitely deserves to start for me, and then I would keep the same 10-12. I'd go Boli Fichetti. I just don't think you can drop either of those players with how well they played.
0: Yep. Okay, cool. And then Harry, just sticking with you, what's your new locking and back row combo considering the fact that Swain is mm-hmm. out? Uh, and we're gonna have obviously Leota gone as well. Who are we gonna replace?
2: Yeah, I would move Holloway to six. I just don't think he was that effective in tight as a lock. So I think that solves your your position for Leota there. And then I would leave my seven and eight as they were, mm-hmm. Samu and Valentini. Um and then that means that I guess I'm getting an all new locking combination, assuming there's no Swain. So I'm gonna go uh Philip and Neville.
0: Okay, and who's the bench lock?
2: Uh, that's a great question. There's not a lot of players left, is there? So <laughs> no, that's what I I'm guess, thinking. I guess it's Frost.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think Frost has to come onto the bench there. Mitch, are you agreeing with that for the kind of lock and back row stop? Yeah, that's what I'd be doing as well, yep. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, there's a big part of me that can hear Rev just yelling from the background going, move Valentini to six and bring Wilson on to start at eight. <laughs> because um, that could help. Keeps Holloway as one of the walking options. But has Wilson um, been in camp? That's the other question. He's been playing. I don't think he, he has. He played, uh, you know, hospital
1: cup the last few weeks in the finals. So I don't know if he's actually been in camp and, and knows the calls as well as sort of Valentini has.
0: Oh mate. How hard can't imagine they change that and, much, but they're not yeah. moving
2: Valentini the way he's playing, surely.
0: No, he's been one of our best for um, basically every international match so far this yeah. season. So yeah, you don't move something that's working like that. Um, so tough ones to Harry Wilson, um, but I think that that will basically be the majority of the changes we'll see. Obviously, you'll need a change um, for James Slipper as well. I think Parecki will probably keep his place starting. I thought he was. I thought he was very, very good. Um, provided the stability within the lineout and seemed to have a little bit of extra edge and physicality to him uh he walked onto the field with a massive shiner under his left eye so <laughs> wonder if he's had that edge in training as well and popped one in the eye for it
2: that was definitely for laughing. uh just making sure he knows who's boss
0: yeah exactly <laughs> until <laughs> the team sheet was announced yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look i think outside of those i don't see any major changes uh that aren't injury and force occurring. I wouldn't be surprised if we see
1: Tom Wright potentially get a week off. Uh, His Mm. impact this week wasn't as great as it has been the last few weeks. And I mean, you can debate around the legalities of that yellow card that he copped and whether he was cynically slowing down the ball or not. But to give away that yellow card there, um, when really, you know, the All Blacks with the resulting yellow card to Swain as well, that gave them a pretty prime opportunity for those 10 minutes to score three three tries um yep. so yeah i think we expect a little bit more from our wallabies wingers for to not be giving away those easy penalties like that or, and cards as well um that brings in the question of Suliasi evenovallo do we get to see him come into the 23 do we start him it's something that's been spoken about for weeks and weeks and we've been waiting to, to sort of see him unleashed in test rugby do we think this is the week that we actually get to see him get some Didn't big minutes
2: didn't they release Vonavalu back to club footy as well to get some minutes?
1: Yeah, and he ended think, up. Um, he also ended up getting a yellow card from a, a high contact in defence. So nice,
2: great. But yeah. I, I would have thought, you know, I, I'm with you. Actually, you know, I would love to see Vanavalu start a game and actually be given an opportunity. Don't think Wright's done enough as much as he's had his good patches to own that jersey. Uh, but I, I'm really happy if Pattaya gets a start as well. You know, I thought he he looked good when he came on the field. They just need to give someone an opportunity there. I think it's a jersey where we're still looking for the nailed-on right winger. And
1: yep. I think also the the size, just he's a big boy, and the size that he brings onto that right wing gives us that kick-across option that we had with Israfelao a few years ago that we're yep. not currently seeing utilised as much uh, with Wright and Corobetti.
2: And yep. I mean, it, I mean, we're not saying it, but we all think Noongan he should start
0: as well.
1: But he can't oh, can wear he
0: a jersey. shirtless. Yeah, yeah. no jersey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's gonna walk onto the field and just ask if we
1: can be skins, is he? I just spray it on. Just get that, get that orange. Oh,
0: it's God, orange I anyway. We both went there. Bronzer, oh, that is so good. <laughs> oh, good. Um, genuinely though, I think uh Vunavalu actually um should either be in a twenty-three as maybe the twenty-third option or should be starting. Um, if you're not going to put him onto this, if if uh, if we're determined that Wright gets the week off, um because maybe he hasn't performed as well as we want him in the last couple of weeks, then maybe Jordi Pataya starts on that wing or Sili Asufa Nivali. Um, And th- those would be kind of the players I'd be considering for that position. But at some point, at some point, do they have to play Suli? Do, do you have to, considering the investment RA have made? Or is Dave Rennie kind of within his rights to say, no, I just don't think he's cut it, got it at this level? I think the plan is to
1: give him some minutes in the spring tour. I think the... Style that the European teams play maybe won't see him found out as much that against a, a physical team like South Africa or New Zealand, um, that's what I've heard, sort of spoken about. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, in saying that, like I, you wouldn't say that um, Scotland or England or any of those teams aren't physical and won't score points through him if he's not up to scratch either. So, I, uh, but what I have heard is, that, and that is sort of the earmark for him to get some game time. Yeah, Wouldn't okay.
2: surprise me as well with Cotter and Betty not going on tour, but he's the left wing option. Yep. Um, but really this is just the uh the same argument that they're having over in New Zealand with Roger Touabas bastashek isn't it?
1: Look, well he'll be he'll be playing next week. Will he? Well, with a dead
0: rubber.
2: Geordie Barrett, mate, at twelve. He's been wanting to play there.
0: And you know what? Part of me would just love Geordie Barrett being anywhere but fifteen to see Will Jordan actually play yeah. a full match for the All Blacks at 15. I agree. Like,
2: it could be their best combo.
0: Yeah, best combo that Foster's been forced to choose because he's in, injury-enforced. I just cannot believe that I'm a better selector than Ian Foster because, like, just put Will Jordan at 15. It's not hard. You I'm pretty sure my game.
1: wife's a better selector than Ian Foster. Let's be
0: real. <laughs> hey, your wife yeah, knows a lot about Rocky. At least Don't she, she is me. a Foster, so. Hey. At least
2: you no less modest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey guys, how about we move on to the um, Argentina versus South Africa game? Quickly. Do we want to right talk
1: briefly around the the Swain yellow slash red card clean out? Really.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll quickly say awful looking on camera. I, I think it's tough that people are saying he's done it on purpose and that his you know, intent is to maim and hurt the player. I don't think so. I think he probably doesn't control his head that well. It was very reckless, very sloppy and has ended in a, you know, a potentially very, very significant injury, but at least a three month out injury for Quinn Topia. So really disappointed for Topia. Sloppy, I don't mind if he gets a bit of a ban because of the fact that you just need to be better than that. Um, intent is just too far for me. And look, I, I think they just need to decide how they're going to deal with this better. You know, that they, they came out with with the uh, who was it, the reserve all blacks prop that had a of, kind of similar incident clearing out for laugh oh, yeah, um, and then Finga uh, was on the on the floor clutching. Oh, was CO the-
1: actually. He cleared out CO. Was it? Yep. Yeah. Or are you talking yeah. about the lift. No, lift no, no no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking CO. about
2: Fletcher. Newell cleans yeah. out, and then I think he cleans out CO, but that's, on that's fine. CO's knee, and he and he's on the ground grabbing in his knee. Very similar, you know. Obviously, not as severe, and I'm not saying they're exactly the same thing, but these kind of contacts happen very frequently. Um, I, I agree. I've always thought that they're dangerous when people have that really wide base of support when they're, they're posted up at a ruck. But yeah, they're, they're ugly incidents that obviously have been brought into the law books. I think back in March or something this year, uh, I'm fine with him getting a a, uh, a ban purely because it was just so sloppy and poor and, uh, poor fire.
1: I think right. we've spoken about it previous in the year, but for me, watching the replays back, the biggest indicator that Swain's in a bit of trouble is his body height. And the way that he's actually, he's dropped his knees and he's heading down into the contact with his with his shoulder. So he's leading into the contact with his shoulder, which is always a difficult situation in a ruck. Um, but we've always been taught from sort of the under fives, under sixes, that if you're going to clean out, it's like an airplane taking off. You come in low, you connect with the defending player and you rise up and you take them off their feet. The fact that Swain has come in and he has lost his feet, he, he did slip over, so there is some mitigation there, but he's not clearing him past the ball. He's actually coming down on his uh, on his his knee there, and so I think that's where a lot of people are sort of saying that the reckless intention there, and um, I, I would find it difficult to call that a red card, to say that he's intended to hurt him, but it is poor technique, and I think he will get a a fair bit of a a ban from it considering also
0: his actions earlier in the year in the English series. Second match to be played over the weekend. It was playing on Sunday. What was it? Sunday morning? Yep. Was that when it was played? Sunday morning. Gosh, it feels like so long ago. Thursday Thursday (laughs) test matches just throw the whole week out. Oh, it was really, really confusing. I loved it, by the way. I loved it. Great crowd, great atmosphere in the game. So all really good positives and maybe kind of one game a season continues. Maybe, maybe that match continues to be played on the Thursday night if it's this time of the year with AFL and um, Rugby League finals. But anyway, Argentina versus South Africa. Argentina back at home, trying to kind of make amends for their shocking performance in the second match against the All Blacks. And look, their first half, I'm going to say inept. The second half, enthusiastic but ultimately not enough so Harrison those are words that have basically been said about you a lot Um, enthusiastic but not enough um how did you kind of reflect upon this game looking back
2: disappointing you don't know me that well and you already know that much (laughs) (laughs) um yeah look I I think Argentina showed a lot of guts Cheka would have been really happy with the fight back yeah ultimately South Africa just a little bit too classy and blew them out late and you know, a late try to Malcolm Marks, I think, you know, right on the 80th minute makes the margin look a little bit more one-sided than maybe the match was. I mm. think that, you know, around the 60, 65-minute mark, there was maybe one point in it, and it was looking like a really tight battle where uh, Argentina had really come into it. I uh, I can't go past this whole match just thinking Malcolm Marks, Malcolm Marks, Malcolm <laughs> Marks. The bloke, bloke played 80 minutes again. It's almost like they're just showing off now that he can just be <laughs> – A dominant force in the match for that long like we've all known it it took the south african selectors an extra four years to work out that he's the best hooker in the world but he is just unbelievable everything he touches turns to gold i don't i i can't look past him as you know if he had the opportunity to play 80 minutes every week i think he'd be the the world best player it's just that he hasn't been given the
0: opportunity 100% 100% agree and um even with the fact that you misnamed him he's actually Karl Marx so please make sure <laughs> that you get it right there um but he is just a ma- the, the capacity that he has to be a dominant force in all aspects of the game is incredible and i still genuinely i have not heard anyone effectively communicate to me why his time has been so limited on the pitch in the last 3 4 years bomb squad uh, it. but it's just if he's better than a replacing players or if he's better than a player that he's coming on for and can play for a longer period of time at a better standard just play him for longer it's not hard um, I,
2: I do have one one reason that is the form of Bongi Banambi in that world cup was unbelievable the man didn't miss a tackle in the entire competition like he you know we're talking about how solid Pareki is and just how he goes about his work that's just bongy to a tee. The guy doesn't miss a line out, doesn't miss a tackle, doesn't miss a clean out. He's just perfect. He might not have the impact of a Malcolm Marks, mm. but if you need a man to make no errors, he is the, you know, right up there is the best hooker mm. in the world as well. So they're just sport for choice in my opinion.
0: Yep, yep, completely fair enough. Now, looking at this game, we had Matthias, Matthias Maroney's try in the 69th minute, which was just a carbon copy of uh, the try that Noah Lollesu and Fraser McRight combined with in a previous match against South Africa as well. Don't you just enjoy that? Obviously, uh, Michael Checker is just watching the Australian games going, oh, that's what they did. All right, let's copy that. Uh, Mitch, <laughs> did you think that... Um, how did, how did you rate this South African or Argentinian performance, just in a quick summary perspective? If we go for
1: Argentina first, I think you'd have to give them maybe a six, potentially a seven. They created mm. a lot of opportunities. They just weren't good enough to really pull them off. There were so many times where some one of the players found themselves in space or uh, set up one of their players into a gap. And it was just the the final pass went to ground or went over the sideline and they they had so many opportunities in that second half and they just weren't able to be clinical enough and really get get ahead on the scoreboard. And if they had converted more of those opportunities, I, I think from memory there was five or six times where they were potentially through the line and it was only one pass or... A forward pass or a drop ball, or you know the kick not going in hand or whatever. Um, we're talking about a much tighter game, and they potentially go ahead in that second half. And with that crowd and and the atmosphere that it is in Argentina, I would not be surprised for them to carry through and get that win. Um, but you know, heads fall. They they weren't quite good enough to do that. Um, I think South Africa came in with a plan, and they knew that they needed to get a bonus point to be, uh, contention like potentially win the rugby championship i can imagine that they're sitting there in in um in argentina watching the wallabies game as well hoping and thinking that the wallabies were going to get that victory and that the game on the weekend was going to be a bit easier for them um but it didn't go that way uh but you know they did what they needed to do um south africa and they looked classy so you have to give them an eight or a nine yeah
0: and look i think a huge amount of um Congratulations or uh, respect needs to be put to the South African uh, scramble defense. So one of the things that they are quite well known for doing is the umbrella defense that kind of comes up to try and cut out the kind of width in the attacking team's play. But what Argentina were able to do quite effectively is get outside of that umbrella defense with the speed of their passing. But as you were saying, Mitch, they were also inaccurate in the ball handling once they were outside of that defense. So they couldn't make the most of the opportunities they had. And a large part of that was because of the pressure that the scramble defense from the box was actually placing on those players once they got into those half gaps. Um, So yeah, the South Africans played pretty Pretty well, like you said earlier, Harry, I actually think that the scoreline definitely flatters them. Um, without those two last minute tries that were both converted, it's 20, 20 um 20 as, as the scoreline. So just shows how up until the 75th minute, it was a very, very close encounter.
2: Jaden Hendricks, I thought was exceptional as well, you know, but we've mm-hmm. seen him on form be someone that controls the game and that's why he's been so good his kicking is just so accurate but he scored i think two tries himself or did he score one, one and then one. and then they sc- and maybe mark scored the other yeah. or you know he almost scored another went very close just because he was so quick to the ruck and he just saw the space and then he just kind of picked and went through and the uh the argentinian defense just couldn't get their pillars and post set on the side mm. of the ruck so you know it was he was lightning quick to it and he saw the opportunity he's got he's got got a lot of different threats he's an excellent young player
0: yeah Definitely Damien Wilmsley will be out with concussion. You would think for the next game, he took a really heavy hit. Um, And so we might see. uh, Mornay staying straight in. (laughs) (laughs) Mornay staying straight in. Uh, Fran Steyn step into that role Mm. as kind of the old guard stepping into that position. With Does he have 80 minutes,
1: 50 minutes in him
0: though? uh, Who even knows? But Willie LaRue could probably deputize after the 50th minute or something like that in that role. Or he might just get the start. Um, I mean, we don't have Elton Yanti's available at the moment. He's had a few um... too many cheat days. Yeah, too many cheat oh. days is probably the best way of saying it. Um... <laughs> I,
2: I did see Thaler uh, on Twitter saying that they thought Faf might deputise. So, if uh, yeah, Faf de Clerk, if they if France can't go the eighty, he could slide out and jump into the ten jersey. So that I, I, surely that's not their first choice. But I mean, who knows? Crazy things have happened. Yeah, because it's Pollard. What can't
0: he do? Yanty's out. Now Will MZ? So they'd be going to, yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll see Faf in there. That'd be amazing. I'd love to see that. That'd be a great storyline as well. What about um, Michael Marks? Throw him in 10. <laughs> he can do anything, that man. He can probably uh, kill. Well, fam, I think that is it for our wrap-up of the rugby championship matches. Uh, why don't we head into the locker room now before we finish up? Let's go. Let's go. All right, we move now to the locker room, our favourite part of the show, where we get to answer your questions and comments. So starting off with Jock Cudmore on Twitter, it's frustrating that some people think it's fine to ref the championship minutes differently to the rest of the game. How can anyone be okay with that? Teams have spent 75 minutes adjusting to what they can or can't do only for it to change in the final minutes. Harry, what say you?
2: Look, he didn't really ref it like the rest, unlike the rest of the game. He was seen speeding Foley up in the eighth minute of the match. Fully admitted that he was told to hurry the game up. We've obviously talk at the, talked about this at length at the top of the podcast. I think we all agree it wasn't a great call for the flow of the game and the feel of the game. But, again, I think it's probably that emotive response that makes us say it's not how he's refted He did try and speed it up all the way through. And we do accept that there is some blame on our side as well.
0: Also, Jock Cudmore. Also, the ref said to White afterwards he warned Foley to play quickly or be penalized. Now, he never said that. He told him to play quickly slash hurry up. No mention of penalty consequences. Stop the clock if you're concerned with time-wasting ref. Come on, Jock. We'll take that as a comment because we've already spoken at that at length. Now, Mitch, I'll throw this next one to you from Thallium. Ignoring the last-minute issue with the ref, there were some pretty positive signs in the team. Enough good signs that we can take Eden Park. I'm assuming there's a question mark there. (laughs) Uh geez, isn't that the, the question we ask
1: ourselves every single year? Is the hoodoo going to be broken this week? Look, uh, when we look at the team that New Zealand is going to potentially name and the injuries that they sustained this week, Sam Cain's out with a HAA, Quintupe is out. Um, who else? Who was the other centre that went off? Billy. Yeah, Billy also out as well. Um, so there's going to be some changes made and there's going to be some p- players brought into that squad who weren't necessarily, or who definitely weren't in Sydney. So um, if we can name a similar side to what we named this week, and we, we saw in those South African tests that naming the same 23 with one or two changes didn't really help us bounce back as well as we would have liked. Um, uh, it's there for the taking, really. Um, we, we pushed this All Blacks team right to the end and say what you will about those final minutes. The Wallabies did everything they really could to to get the victory. Um, and so it was unfortunate how the game finished, but in a lot of ways, the Wallabies were, were dominant in that second, that last 50, 60, 80 minutes mark. So, um,
0: carry that through to Eden Park and who knows what can happen. We have Michael Gardner getting in touch, uh, speaking to the injuries that we have. So with Leota, Leota out and Swain expected to have a break, how does your preferred forward pack look for this weekend? His is below. I'll just read this out and then Harry, quick comment from it. Uh, one slipper, two pareki, three Alatoa, four philip, five frost, six holloway, seven samu, eight valentini. Uh, he hasn't included the fact that slipper is probably out as well.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really hoping that we have Angus Bell back to have a run. It'd be well timed, but obviously otherwise Scott Sio would slide in into the number one jersey. And then you know we talked about our lock pairing before. I'd. I'd probably have Neville at five over Frost. I personally, to be honest with you, with the amount of locks that we have floating around, I really don't want Frost to get a lot of time before the next World Cup. I think we need to develop the more senior players in the squad. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I like it. Holloway, Samir, Valentini, that's, that's where I'd go. I, I think that's our best back row that we can put on the park. I
1: guess uh, the Harry... other the other question, though, with that locking combination is does Neville have 80 minutes or 50 minutes of Test Rugby in him considering he's coming back from that knee? Uh, was it a knee replacement? When well, we're doing full construction, that he had, but he did a pretty bad ACL. Was it? Did um, he do the series? I,
2: I thought he was. A, wasn't he a calf or a soft tissue injury or something like that? I don't know. He's only been gone for four weeks or six weeks, so I, I would think that he would have some fitness. Maybe it was a ligament. He wasn't an ACL though. Otherwise, there's no way you'd have him around right now.
1: I, I saw him tweeting um, this week on Twitter a, a similar picture to the Swain incident and saying how it happened to him as well. So, um, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe I, I he exact outcome was. But yeah, I just don't know if he's got the full minutes and you would hate for him to come
0: back, start, and then get injured again. Yep. yep. Um, with that in mind, uh just quickly if we're if CO is stepping up, Harry, who's gonna be your replacement um prop with Bell I know, unavailable. I can't have Angie Bell. No, nah, with Bell unavailable, assuming. Uh probably Tom Robertson. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was assuming that'd be the case. All right. So Jeff Fisher, I'd rather forget that. Forget it. Then keep discussing in a moment. What do you think about Swain's clear out and how long do you think the suspension will be? We've already spoken about the clear out, Uh Mitch. How many weeks do you think he's going to get? Put put your bet in the lottery, please. And then Harry, you can yeah. I was going to say, say well. do we have one of those like wheel of fortune boards that we can just
1: spin? Uh, yep. Okay. Say- so we so start at twelve dick, weeks. Dick, 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 we finish on. You know, his mother was born in this part of the world and his father was born in this part of the world. And I think at one point he got an A grade on his paper at school. So we'll take another few weeks off that. Uh, he'll probably get six to eight weeks, I'm thinking.
0: Okay. Harry?
2: I oh, mean, I agree. I think that's probably where they'll land. I think they they need to try and stand to kind of contact out. So that's what I would think. And he's not going to get it reduced because of the headbutt earlier in the season.
0: Cliff? at councillor cliff has said it would appear from the recording that folly believe time is still off this i've witnessed on many occasions he also said that on the um the stand sport pod which between i'm having posts, between yeah. two posts uh the very next day um secondly the recording from spider cam the time having time restarted whistle interrupted from Foley's kick was only eleven seconds. To discuss. We've already gone through that in detail. But thank you, Cliff. It is the view that Foley has put forward that his, in his belief, the time had not restarted yet. And then Christy and Willie Kay have got in touch got a few thoughts from the part i won't go through all of it because there are some excellent points in here but this one thing is really interesting has it occurred to any of us that a 33 year old foley with 77 caps and a 35 year old cooper with 20 with 70 tests are both a better option than than a 22 year old who's unfairly being expected to perform at test match level when he very clearly isn't ready noah donaldson and ed med to fight it out post rugby rugby world cup in my view they should all go spend a season in the uk or france too harry
2: uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with the, the sentiment. Like, We need a an experienced playmaker that's used to big games and you don't really want to blood a 22-year-old that plays 25 games a year at that age for a Rugby World Cup. I think you will have seen the benefit of those experienced flyhards in Cooper and Foley and how they can control the game. And I, I do expect Noah LaLessier to get there, but it's going to take him a little bit of time. So I, I think we keep developing him i think that we need to try and pick and stick if there's no injuries between our senior fly half and it's no doubt that all the best fly halves in the world are a little bit older so yes i i just completely agree with the sentiment
0: excellent and some of the i mean you could look at marcus smith as being somebody that's maybe bucking the trend there but then you look at the amount of game time that he's received at harlequins with an english premiership and his european competition and although he's not generally the first choice for england he at least has had that long club experience to help him with his step up into the international scene. But even then, he still struggled compared to, say, um George Ford or Owen Farrell. I know he had a mental backwards. He's back also on Owen got,
1: and when you look at Marcus Smith as well, he's got Owen Farrell at twelve to sort of support him as well. And they do yeah. slot in and out when the, the need arises. Where we have to also take into context that we've got Lenny Kitao, Hunter Paisami, and Noel Alessio as our three starting centers. Um, both of, all three of them with a handful of super rugby caps realistically and mm. a handful of, of international caps as well. So we Noah is the stopgap at the moment and prior to Foley being selected and coming into camp, um, we were making do with what we had. But I, we can see from the Wallabies' performance this last week that, and we saw that last year with Quade Cooper as well, that just having yeah. that experience, that settled head, really helps those other backs play a lot better as well, um, take the line on when it's needed, take the kick when it's needed. Um, it gives them confidence to back themselves as well when you don't have a sort of a, a fly half who's second guessing themselves a little bit because of that inexperience. So we just, with those experienced players, we just look that much better. Um, so I, it's I think it's a timely thing that Foley has got back into the Wallabies at this point and it does um, show that there is... Another option at the moment that we're not necessarily reliant on Noel Alessio for rugby world cup next year and from what's been reported uh foley is going to be available for the spring tour as well so that helps um through continuity for the later half of this year
2: i think the one big thing that doesn't get talked about in the context of this discussion though is australia has one big handicap here that no one else in the world really seems to have and that is that all our experienced players go overseas and it makes it so much harder to get continuity with our, with our experienced players. We don't have the money to keep them in Australia. We don't select everybody from overseas. It becomes a real headache for us to try and keep the experience around and keep that uh, cohesion in the squad. So I, I think, sadly, at the moment, unless we can pay the big bucks to our older, more senior fly halves, it's, it's going to happen, you know. We're going to continue to see the experienced guys that do have that time behind them go overseas and then it becomes really challenging to continue to select them.
0: Well, I think we need to finish up the pod because I've just found out a piece of rugby trivia that I'm really enjoying. Um, so I'm three days older than Franz Stain and he is the same height as me and i actually weigh a little bit less than him so when we combine all those points together i'm basically saying that i could still be an international level rugby player at this point in my life so i'm very happy about feel, this
1: how do you feel about playing second row for the wallabies this week
0: uh pretty bad my hips not great um so i'd rather just be in the back line but so we'll just tape make it any tackles we'll tape it up okay? you'll be right yeah, tape, tape up my hip. I'm sure that's possible. Yep. Um, so, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Harry, thank you so much for coming on and joining us, mate. It
2: was great. Pleasure to be here. Um, I've had a lot of fun. So, thank you for having me.
0: Nah, absolute pleasure. Um, Mitch, good to be here with you, as always, my friend. Sorry that we couldn't have a more enjoyable moment at the pub last week, but ah, well. so be it. It is what it is being a Wallabies fan at the moment. Mm. Mm. and to everybody else i'm I'm hoping you understand my list of french failures at the start of the pod was mostly a joke um although (laughs) i do still think it's surprising that the frenchman didn't run away but anyway moving on (laughs) it's been asked persia ladies and gentlemen have a great week catch you later bye